Welcome to Counter Apologetics. Welcome to Counter Apologetics. I'm your host, Emerson Green, and today we'll be discussing near death experiences. Dr. Raymond Moody coined the term near death experience in his 1975 book, Life After Life, and many credit or blame Moody's work for bringing the concept of the NDE to the mainstream. But reports of such experiences have occurred throughout history. Even Plato mentioned a soldier who had an NDE in which he floated outside his body. And in case you're not familiar, out-of-body experiences are a common element of NDEs. Subjects have floated above their body, looked down at it, and even flown around a little. Intense, bright light is also commonly reported, as well as a feeling of euphoria. So are voices, and sometimes interaction with other beings. Many subjects also find themselves in a tunnel with a light at the end. And there's an unlucky minority of people who have negative NDEs, feeling like they're going to hell or having an otherwise frightening experience. It's a certainty that people have NDEs, but the question is how they should be interpreted. Some think they're definite proof of an afterlife, and others think they're the euphoric hallucinations of a dying brain. According to believers, NDEs offer us evidence of an afterlife. This is taken very seriously. Just look at a few of the titles of best-selling books on the subject. Life After Life, Heaven Is For Real, Proof of Heaven. The question of hiddenness has always gotten on my nerves. And this is one of those times when believers like to have their cake and eat it too. Any reasonable person could wonder why heaven and hell aren't visible, or at least known to human beings as a near certainty. I don't doubt the existence of Mars or Seattle, even though I've never been there. Why can't heaven and hell be the same way? If God is so concerned about us going to hell for all eternity, he could sure do a lot more to make us aware of its existence and the rules for going there. How can believers claim that he doesn't will anyone to go to hell but doesn't take any of the rational steps one would take to make the afterlife a certainty. Heaven and hell are concealed from us, and God presumably has good reasons for this. But if he has reasons for the hiddenness of the afterlife, then what is going on with NDEs? Why is he violating his own policy of keeping heaven and hell from being as plainly evident as Seattle or Mars? The hiddenness of the afterlife is frustrating enough, given that believers incessantly claim that God wants us to go to heaven and evade hell. But whatever reasons they give for the hiddenness of the afterlife are undermined by NDEs. You can't claim that near-death experiences are, quote, proof of heaven, and claim that God has good reasons for keeping the afterlife hidden. Any reason given explaining the hiddenness of the afterlife needs to be reconciled with how believers understand near-death experiences. Presumably, God is not making a mistake by revealing the afterlife to these people through their experiences. He knew what was happening, and he knew how it would be interpreted. But if God wanted to give us evidence of an afterlife, he could do a lot better. Why is God so bashful all the time? The only way he indicates the existence of an afterlife is by shining bright lights in the eyes of almost dead people? The central question is, does God want me to know heaven is for real? Either he does, or he doesn't. So let's consider both of those options. Let's say God does want me to know that the Christian afterlife exists. In that case, there's no reason God would conceal heaven and hell. And there's really nothing I could do to stop an omniscient and omnipotent God from proving to me that they exist. 
You don't really even need omnipotence to make me believe that a place exists. I believe in all kinds of places, and I haven't even been to all of them. If the idea is to accept or reject a relationship with God, or to accept or reject God's laws, then why does believing in his existence have to be in the equation at all? I could still accept or reject relationship with God, as I do with many people, or accept or reject his laws, as I do with some laws, without ever doubting God's existence. Believing that God exists and still rejecting relationship with him or his laws would be a true rejection of God, rather than simply doubting that there is one in the first place, or doubting that he cares if I follow Sharia. But let's say God does not want me to know the afterlife exists. If he doesn't want me to know it exists, what exactly am I supposed to do about that? And if he's indifferent, I can't stop him there either. If God wants me to know heaven and hell exist, then I'm not stopping him. In fact, I would very much like to know about that. He would know exactly what would convince me, and he would have the motivation to do so. We know our experiences are caused by the brain. Change the brain, change the mind. As far as we can tell, the mind is what the brain does, as neuroscientists like to put it. So as your brain is shutting down, piece by piece, you wouldn't expect your experience to be totally ordinary. If the mind is caused by the activity of the brain, we would expect experience to radically diverge from ordinary experience if the brain's behavior is radically diverged from ordinary behavior. Earlier I mentioned a few of the common elements of NDEs. Bright lights, a tunnel, speaking with beings, out-of-body experiences, euphoria, and so on. Is it really being asserted that none of these experiences can be explained through neural activity alone? That seems to be the argument. Take out-of-body experiences. Neuroscientists can actually cause you to have an out-of-body experience just by altering your brain activity. They can do this reliably under controlled conditions. Your brain actually creates the sense that you're inside your body. Neuroscientists long ago identified the specific brain region that creates this feeling. When researchers use transcranial magnetic stimulation to inhibit the functioning of the temporal parietal junction, subjects have an out-of-body experience. When this brain region is inhibited by reducing the flow of electricity to that region, you float out of your body. We can reliably create the subjective experience of an out-of-body episode by altering brain activity alone. Psychologists have hypothesized that out-of-body experiences may be a result of the brain trying to construct a bird's-eye view of the space around you. Ordinarily, you feel like you're seated behind your eyes, in your head, like you're a homunculus. But when something disrupts the brain's normal activity, and it can't make sense of different streams of sensory information, this bird's-eye model of the world may take over. To quote neurologist Stephen Novella, Neuroscientists are piecing together plausible explanations for each of the components of the NDE. The sensation of floating outside one's body can be reliably induced by suppressing that part of the brain that makes us feel as if we possess our bodies. The experience is identical to that reported by those who have had an NDE. The experience can be replicated by drugs or magnetic stimulation. There are even reports, I've had one such patient, of people who have typical NDE experience during seizures. The bright light can be explained as a function of hypoxia, relative lack of oxygen, either to the retina or the visual cortex. 
and everything else is simply the culturally appropriate hallucinations of a hypoxic brain. End quote. That last point actually reminds me of a line from a Christian movie about NDEs. A skeptical psychologist points out to our protagonist that while Christians see Jesus during their experience, Muslims see Muhammad. Your experience is heavily conditioned by your culture and your personal beliefs, and I actually have some direct experience with this. When I was in high school, I routinely had something called sleep paralysis. When you're sleeping, your brain releases a paralyzing agent so you don't move around in your sleep. Sleepwalkers don't have enough of this. People with sleep paralysis have too much. So when I was waking up, I couldn't move or open my eyes for about 10 seconds or so. I was awake, but I couldn't move at all. Many who have sleep paralysis also feel the presence of a figure in the room. My sleep paralysis started when I was still a believer, and like many others, I thought I saw or felt a demon's presence in the room. But when I became a non-believer, when I felt a presence, it was someone who had broken into the house. My beliefs were unconsciously influencing my experience. In both cases, it was an unwelcome, malevolent agent in the room. When I was a Christian, it was a demon. When I became a naturalist, the figure was a home invader. My beliefs were influencing the experience without my conscious awareness. It's not surprising that people from different religions experience NDEs that fit within their religion, or at least the religion of their culture. Given the knowledge we've acquired from the past several decades of neuroscience, it's kind of surprising to me that NDEs get so much play. Knowing about hallucinations alone should disabuse anyone of the idea that supernatural forces need to be invoked to explain experiences that are far beyond the ordinary. In fact, it's well known that DMT produces similar experiences to those reported during NDEs. And unsurprisingly, echoing the point made earlier about beliefs, those who were prone to paranormal or mystical beliefs reported paranormal and mystical features to their experience when researchers gave them DMT. We know about hallucinogens. We know our experience can be radically altered by changing our brain chemistry. When people have these near-death experiences, their brains are never functioning as usual, so it's not at all surprising that their experiences are unusual. And it's not at all surprising that their experiences map onto their beliefs or culture. The details offered by neuroscientists are interesting, but they're just putting a finer point on what we already knew. Alter the activity of the brain, alter the experience of the mind. There is no reason to add extra metaphysical baggage on top of neurophysiology. It's not necessary to explain any of the component parts of an NDE. So maybe we don't need anything but neuroscience to explain the experience itself, they might argue. But what about knowledge subjects acquire that they'd have no way of knowing? Things they learn during their experience. Uh, Dinesh D'Souza, who's a frequent um, debating partner of mine, has written a, a book about this too. And he, the most persuasive example from any hospital he's found, and I get it all the time, is a woman who floated out of her body, out of the bed, made a tour of the outside of the hospital, saw the shoe. noticed that there was a running shoe <laughs> on one of the window sills, woke up, reported it to a nurse whose name we've never been told, and who went and looked, and there was the shoe. Now, if that doesn't prove it, I don't know what does. <laughs> I could hardly be re more reassured if I'd been told that it that was able to reunite it with its missing pair. <laughs> That's pretty characteristic of the knowledge attainment stories. An unverifiable, one-off instance 
that only seems to happen under uncontrolled conditions. It's fairly easy to imagine more concrete ways of testing the same idea. This kind of question is still scientifically tractable. People have, reasonably serious people, have tried to study the near-death right. experience. And this, this idea of uh, consciousness somehow rising, dissociating from the body and rising to a point above the operating theater and looking down on the body, the phenomenology there is common enough that people uh, seem to think that, that this is testable. And so some people have put random number generators on the, on the top of cabinets in the operating theater, just on the odd chance that someone comes back saying, I saw this weird digital readout, uh, you know, above your cabinets, and it was, you know, 35721. Um, that would be very interesting. Now, uh, no one, to my knowledge, has done that. But if, he, if people, if this is something we could set up this experiment in advance. It wouldn't be merely anecdotal. Have they put shoes up there? Because sometimes that... <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's obviously structured along the same lines. But again, this, that, there's a reason why we can't make uh, a research program based on that one shoe. Um, <laughs> to my knowledge, this experiment has only been run in the way Harris described. Random objects or number generators on top of shelves or cabinets in operating theaters. So far, no results. How to interpret out-of-body experiences could easily be settled by putting some random number generators on tall shelves and using transcranial magnetic stimulation to cause an out-of-body experience. Then we could find out if there's some brain-independent soul that's disconnecting from the body and actually floating above it, or if it's rather the explanation discussed earlier offered by psychologists and neuroscientists. If subjects could accurately report the high-placed numbers during their out-of-body experience, that would be compelling evidence, if nothing else for substance dualism. Unfortunately, I couldn't find such an experiment, but it's possible that someone has performed it, and if you know of such an experiment, in which an out-of-body experience was induced for the purpose of seeing if subjects can report objects that they shouldn't be able to see, please email me with the link. And if you're able to run tests using TMS, maybe you could do it yourself. I'm fairly confident that either the experiment hasn't been run, or it was run, and the results were not what believers wanted. I'm sure it would have been trumpeted to the skies by apologists if the results were positive. But until then, all we have are these unverifiable stories, and so far, we haven't replicated the results under controlled conditions to my knowledge. And I'm not rooting for either outcome here. I like surprises. If the results were more consistent with substance dualism than some form of monism, that would be a really exciting development. I'm not emotionally attached to any position here, I just want to know the truth, and the evidence happens to be against substance dualism. The knowledge attainment believers want to claim isn't limited to seeing shoes during out-of-body experiences. There are also plenty of stories of subjects returning from their NDE with other knowledge, often regarding family history, that there's no way they could have known. The evidence is about as flimsy as you would expect in every case. It's hard to verify, not replicable, and there are plenty of alternative ways to have come by the information in question. In Heaven is for Real, the child knows that his mom had a miscarriage at one point. His parents claim that he went to heaven and met his unborn sister there, and that's how he found out. They claim that there is no other way he could have known that. Really? There's no other way. There's nothing he could have seen or heard around the house or in his wider Christian community that would clue him into that. There's no way someone mentioned it to him and he just forgot, or that he overheard something, or that he saw things around the house. If believers were correct that subjects gained special knowledge during their near-death experience, 
That would be evidence, but they never come back from their NDE with a proof of the Goldbach conjecture, or something similar, just some bit of family trivia that could have been acquired through several other conceivable means, even without any conscious fraud taking place. looking into what Christians have to say about near-death experiences, I was surprised to find unease among some believers. The reason is ultimately biblical. It's not an open and shut case, it rarely is with the Bible, but the standard religious interpretation of NDEs are arguably in conflict with scripture. Let me quote an apologist from something called Revolution Church. Biblically, we know that NDEs are not actual experiences of heaven or hell after death. Death is only a one-time deal, according to Hebrews 9.27. Quote, People are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. Plus, everyone sees something different. Some people see biblical things, and some people see very unbiblical things. When experiencing or hearing about NDEs, we must test everything in light of Scripture. End quote. So, of course, testing in light of Scripture is different from just testing. By test, they don't mean go out and look at the world to see how it is. They mean check and see if it conflicts with the Bible. And according to them, many common interpretations of NDEs do conflict with the Bible. So they would reject the heaven is for real story and dozens of other near-death experience stories that involve believers going to heaven, or in some cases hell, and returning to tell the tale. In fact, they're probably using a similar assessment of the argument from personal experience that I'm using. Your experience isn't in question, it's how you're interpreting that experience. They're not saying you're lying, but they don't think you actually went to heaven and came back. There are other Christians who are so convinced that NDEs are in conflict with scripture that they go as far as claiming they're the result of demonic activity. I would like to take this opportunity to talk about how much I hate How Stuff Works. I'm sorry if you're a fan of that show or their website, but if you are, you should stop listening to it, or any of their 900 sister shows. I've only listened to a handful of episodes and read a few of their articles, but all of it, without exception, has been a slanted presentation of misinformation. They do very little serious research and significantly overestimate their level of knowledge on the topics they cover. Their podcast is essentially an unironic citation needed. The episodes I heard sounded like they had read part of the Wikipedia article on the subject once and hit record. I already knew I hated them before I made this episode, but I came across their article on near-death experiences in the process of making this episode, and I decided to read it to see if I had perhaps been too quick to judge them. So here are a few excerpts from the How Stuff Works article. Quote, Theories explaining NDEs fall into two basic categories scientific explanations, and supernatural explanations. Of course, these explanations can be neither proven nor disproven. End quote. Many explanations can be disproven, actually. Maybe they meant to say these explanations can't be proven correct, which is true of every scientific theory ever, due to the nature of science. All scientific truth is provisional. But things can be disproven. Claims can be falsified. As for supernatural explanations, 
Many of them are unfalsifiable because they make no specific predictions and are compatible with any results we could get. They aren't good theories in part because of the fact that they're compatible with any data we could observe. That's a strike against them. But putting that aside, just because something can't be known with absolute certainty doesn't put the probability at 50-50, which is what they were implying. There's a lot more that goes into determining the probability of something. It's not just whether it's possible or it can't be proven. So moving on to an even better part of the article, quote, Science cannot ultimately explain why some people have near-death experiences. Um, no, it can. It can, actually. So let me just read from the About page on the How Stuff Works website. Quote, How Stuff Works is an award-winning source of unbiased, reliable, easy-to-understand answers and explanations of how the world actually works. Anyway, continuing on with their unbiased explanation of NDEs, science cannot ultimately explain why some people have near-death experiences. The debate is over whether or not they actually experienced what they perceived. End quote. So that part was especially frustrating. I don't know how many times I said in the argument from personal experience episode that the argument is not over whether they had their experience. It's about the cause of the experience, or how they're interpreting the experience. This is a skeptical podcast, probably not something the folks over at How Stuff Works would smile upon, and I did not take that position. I even quoted a skeptical YouTube channel that echoed the same thought, and Stephen Novella, host of the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, and frequent critic of NDE believers, in other words, guy who the author of this article would hate, said, quote, That NDEs occur is not controversial. The question is not whether people have such experiences. The question is how to interpret them. End quote. So this unbiased and objective author apparently didn't look into what skeptics and promoters of science actually think about NDEs before declaring that science can't explain them and that the skeptical position is that everyone who claims to have an NDE is lying about it. That's what we think. We think they're all just lying. But how stuff works looks like the journal Nature compared to Conservapedia which, though brain-meltingly stupid, at least has the decency to be fun and entertaining while it's spreading misinformation. And Conservapedia has one more point in their favor, in my book. They're upfront about what their ideology is. They just say Wikipedia is run by gay liberal atheists and that they're offering the conservative religious perspective. And of course, they also claim to be telling the truth. But their name is Conservapedia, while How Stuff Works pretends to be non-ideological and unbiased. So let's see what Conservapedia has to say about NDEs. Quote, Skeptics and many scientists have dismissed the experiences as hallucinations. However, the evidence for this claim is not sufficient because the brain cannot hallucinate while it is clinically dead. Most people, and many scientists, generally accept this as evidence of an afterlife. And there is no citation for that. <laughs> Some Christians believe NDEs to be the result of demonic activity. Atheists usually have an NDE in which they are in hell <laughs> and, only, and learn that only through Jesus Christ they are saved. After coming back into life, they become faithful Christians. So there's no citation for any of this. <laughs> but why would you need one unless you're being a nerd? The sad truth is that the Conservapedia article and the How Stuff Works article were more alike than they were different because they both assert that science can't explain nearly dead people having hallucinations.
The champions of NDEs often try to claim that these experiences happened when the brain was non-functional, as we saw on Conservapedia. In some cases, the subjects die and are resuscitated, and claim to have had their experience while they were dead. And keep in mind they weren't dead for a week or a month, they were revived after a relatively short time. The crucial point, however, is that your sense of time is not reliable or accurate when you're in such an unusual state. We don't know these memories were formed when your brain wasn't working, and we don't even know to what extent your brain was non-functional. The experiences you're remembering could have happened on a much different timeline than you think. You have no way of knowing when those memories were formed. Your brain creates your perception of time, and when your brain isn't working normally, your sense of time is warped along with it. One minute could feel like an hour, and vice versa. And once again, you don't actually know when your experiences happened precisely. Eben Alexander wrote a best-selling book called Proof of Heaven. Quote, There is no scientific explanation for the fact that while my body lay in coma, my mind, my conscious inner self, was alive and well, while the neurons of my cortex were stunned to complete inactivity by the bacteria that had attacked them, my brain-free consciousness journeyed to another, larger dimension of the universe, a dimension I'd never dreamed existed, and which the old, pre-coma me, would have been more than happy to explain was a simple impossibility. End quote. Again, I'm not disputing his experience. I'm disputing his interpretation of his experiences, which, to be clear, is that they are, quote, proof of heaven, cannot be explained scientifically, and that his soul peeled off of his brain and flew to a different dimension. He also claims that he knows these experiences took place when his brain was out of commission, which he would have absolutely no way of knowing. His sense of time, controlled by his brain, was not reliable. Your brain controls your perception of time in every way. His experiences could have happened on a completely different timeline than he perceived. They could have happened as his brain was losing function, or as it was regaining function. He doesn't know his memories were formed when his brain wasn't working. And it was obviously working to some extent because he's not a vegetable. This is why it's important to remember the length of time these handful of patients were clinically dead. Clinically dead doesn't necessarily mean there is absolutely no brain activity. It means your heart stopped beating and you stopped breathing. It's not as if the second your heart stops beating, your brain is in the same state that it'll be in a week after being dead. For seconds or minutes after your heart stops beating, there is still some oxygen in your brain. This is why it matters that they were only clinically dead for a few seconds or minutes and not a few days or weeks. When your breathing stops and you're in cardiac arrest, no new oxygen is being pumped into the brain, but there's still all the oxygen that's there right now. That amount will decline, and we know hypoxic brains generate all kinds of extreme hallucinations. It would be a miracle if your experience was not out of the ordinary when the brain was in such an unusual state. As Stephen Novella pointed out, all the component parts of an NDE have been accounted for. Those who claim near-death experiences must be supernatural are adding extra theoretical baggage on top of an already complete, natural explanation that accounts for everything we actually know. Oh, and it's a coincidence that the extra baggage means that they and everyone they love gets to evade death. Many who have strange experiences seem to think that because they had the experience, they're also the authority on what could or couldn't have caused it. Being the experiencer doesn't give you any authority on the cause of the experience. Right now I'm having the experience of looking out my window, seeing trees outside my apartment, 
Just because I'm having the experience of seeing the trees doesn't mean that I understand all the relevant neuroscience that explains the experience I'm having right now. And the same goes for non-ordinary experiences. You don't have to know how your brain works for it to work. If you were on a strong hallucinogen and you vividly saw another being on the street that no one else could see, if you insist that what you're seeing is real, I wouldn't deny that it was real. I would be denying that your experience corresponds to external reality in the exact way that you think it does. You think that the experience you're having of seeing another person is caused by the fact that there's another person there, when really, the external correlates of your experience have a lot more to do with unusual brain chemistry. So again, I'm denying that your experience corresponds to reality in the exact way that you think it does. The experience and the cause of the experience are entirely separable. Being an authority on one doesn't make you an authority on the other. That's all I have for you today. I would like to thank my patron Hall of Fame, Jesta, Phil Stillwell, Richard Crossan, Nathan Grounds, and Pre-Nifty. And you can support this show on a per-episode basis at patreon.com counter where you can earn early access to every episode and access to bonus episodes. If you don't have the money to support on Patreon, but you still want to uncritically accept the memories of trauma patients on massive amounts of drugs, you can like us on Facebook, YouTube, leave a five-star review on iTunes, or tell your friends about the podcast. Our theme music was written and performed by the band Whalers. The song is called Magic Tricks and was used with permission. Thank you for joining me today. I've been Emerson Green, and I'll see you next time.